I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Hello and welcome back to all of our listeners from around the world. We're so happy to have you here with us again for part two of this incredible story of Sheriff Pat Garrett. Now, last time we uh, brought you the story of how Sheriff Pat Garrett hunted down Billy the Kid and brought his reign of terror to an end. So, but as I said at the end of the last episode, this was not the end of Sheriff Pat Garrett's story. No. Much later on, Sheriff Pat Garrett would also meet his own demise at the end of the barrel of a gun. And we also have more audio from his son Jarvis Garrett, who shared that incredible story uh, of, of how his father was able to catch Billy the Kid. Uh, he is also going to share with us the unbelievable story of how his father was assassinated. Isn't that true, Dad? Yes, uh, that's uh, correct, Gary. And Jarvis was two and a half years old when his father was murdered in 1908. So a two and a half year old is not going to remember very much of their father. No, that's true. No. Uh, so most of what, all of what, I guess, uh, Jarvis uh, has to tell us came from his mother. So I am extremely honored this evening, Gary, that we're not just going to, you and I are not just going to be telling a, an incredible story. We are actually going to hear the voice of a man who was very closely connected with what we're talking about. I would say he's 100% connected with what we're talking yes, about. Yes, this is an incredible experience in my mind. Now, we have to remind our listeners that the quality of the tape is poor. Now, there's one other caution before we start, Gary. Uh, tonight's content um, at times is a bit gruesome. Uh, it, I would not recommend uh, young folks uh, necessarily listen to this particular episode uh, and or people who are extremely ex uh, squeamish. For example, Jarvis Garrett is going to be giving us some autopsy details in his own words. So, uh, this this caution before we start. Word of warning. All right, let us begin. Um, as you mentioned, like Billy the Kid, that young outlaw that he killed, Sheriff Pat Garrett, also died by the gun with his boots on. Pat Garrett's murder remains a mystery to this day. I'll tell you right now, Gary, we will not have the answer. We will not have the definitive answer to who killed Sheriff Pat Garrett by the end of the podcast. But oh, yes. our listeners will have some choices, some people to choose from, and they can form their own theories and conclusions based on the story that we uh, present. Absolutely. So this is uh, where you listeners get to be the jury. Yes. And make your own decision of who the guilty party was. Yes, and we'll give you three choices as to who the killer was, and then uh, we'll provide a possible motive and let you take it from there. Now, here's the strange part of this case, Gary. One man actually confessed to killing Sheriff Pat Garrett. Oh. He was even arrested, 
and he was tried for the crime. Yet, believe it or not, hardly any historian today believes that he actually did it. Can you believe that? Well, I mean, it sounds pretty clear cut. He admitted (laughs) to doing it, and he he stood trial for it. He confesses, he was arrested, he stood trial, but none of the historians today, or, or I shouldn't say none, but uh, the, the majority, vast, the vast majority uh, of historians today, really don't believe that he did it, and that included Jarvis Garrett. Jarvis Garrett didn't believe it either. So um, historians have several versions of the event that are different from this, and Jarvis had his favorite theory also based on information, like I say, that he gleaned from his mother. So we might heavily uh, fall on Jarvis Garrett's theory this evening because. He's the person who has provided us with a lot of the information tonight. So here's what we know. It was a Friday afternoon, February 28th, 1908. There was a man named Carl Adamson, and he rented a buggy in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And he headed north on the four-hour drive to the Garrett Ranch. Adamson's relative by marriage was a guy named James P. Miller. Miller had offered Pat Garrett a business deal, which would solve Garrett's growing financial problems. Right, and he had racked up some debt. Yes, and the deal also involved a local sheep rancher named Wayne Brazell. So we have three characters so far in our story. Carl Adamson coming up to Garrett's ranch from Las Cruces to pick Pat Garrett up. James Miller, who has set up a business deal in Las Cruces for Pat Garrett. And Wayne Brazell, who is also going down to Las Cruces to be part of the deal. So Carl Adamson arrived at the Garrett ranch that afternoon. Pat Garrett showed him around. And the next day, the two of them set out for Las Cruces. Now, Gary... Jarvis' mother told him that Adamson made a bad impression on her. He seemed kind of seedy, huh? Uh, she didn't like something about him. Now, he was a short, stout fellow, and she told Jarvis that uh, he made her feel nervous and suspicious. And she actually expressed those concerns to her husband, Pat Garrett, before he left, but he didn't feel that they were something to worry about. So... According to Jarvis, though, his mother was very apprehensive. She had picked up on something. There were some bad vibrations there for sure. Bad mojo. Yeah. And so uh, shortly after uh, Pat Garrett, Carl Adamson uh, took off for Las Cruces, I don't know how many hours, but uh, around noon after they had departed, Jarvis reports that a gust of wind blew our house door closed And mother said she believed something had happened to my father. Mm. That's pretty strange, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Hmm? Yeah, that sounds like an omen or a premonition. Yeah, sure. And now Mrs. Garrett conveyed her strong negative first impressions about Carl Adamson years later to Jarvis. And this may have been a major factor in his conclusion that Adamson, if not his father's actual killer, was at least deeply involved in the murder plot. Sure, sure. Now, at the time I knew Jarvis, uh, he told me that he had run into then New Mexico Congressman Joe Skeen, who was Adamson's grandson. And Jarvis told Skeen, 
your grandfather killed my father. That's a pretty serious accusation to make when you're meeting somebody for the first time. Yeah, United States congressman. And Skeen allegedly replied, nah, he wouldn't do a, have done a thing like that. So in any event, when the Adamson buggy reached a place called Alameda Arroyo, you've been through there, Gary. You've actually driven through there. Adamson was driving the buggy. He pulled over to urinate, and Garrett also climbed down to relieve himself. Now, by this time, that sheep rancher, Wayne Brazell that we mentioned, yeah, well, he had joined them on horseback. So he was part of that uh, Miller-Garrett deal, as I mentioned, uh, which involved a, a bitter dispute over the sheep between Garrett and Brazell. <clears throat> it seems like um, Wayne Brazell was renting some of Pat Garrett's land, okay. and uh, Garrett thought he'd put cattle on it and Brazil put sheep on it instead, and that ruins it for cattle. And sure. uh, I can tell you that Pat Garrett was extremely unhappy, and that's understating it about that. So there was bad blood between uh, Garrett and Wayne Brazil. Okay. <clears throat> so they're on the side of the road uh, doing number one. Mm-hmm. What happens next? Well, before Garrett finished urinating, two shots rang out. And our legendary sheriff fell over dead. He was shot from behind. Now, we know he was shot in the head from behind. Jarvis describes in graphic detail that autopsy I mentioned. Right. We have that right here. His body was uh, taken to Las Cruces. Uh, Dr. Fields examined the body, made the autopsy. He found that he had been shot in the back of the head with the bullet entering on this side and coming out over his right eye. And that he was shot in the back because uh, Dr. Fields said that the bullet struck in the back because a hair was driven into the wound. That's, that's pretty convincing evidence that this man was assassinated. I mean, there was hair in the actual entrance wound from the back of his head. Yeah, shot from behind. Right. So who fired those two fatal shots? I think that's a a pretty good question. Was it in self-defense or a moment of passion or a cold-blooded planned-out execution? I don't think it was self-defense, especially when his gun was still in the box. Well, let's see about self-defense. Let's see about self-defense. The one man who actually confessed to killing Pat Garrett as I said, was the person no one believes actually did it. That's Wayne Brazell, the sheep rancher. Okay. He admitted that he killed Pat Garrett. Right. He was arrested for the murder. He was tried for it. Now listen to this, Gary. Brazell pleaded self-defense. See, you said there's no self-defense there. He pleaded self-defense in court. Uh, well, the, I'm not really sure how you can claim self-defense when somebody's going to the bathroom and they don't have a gun on them. And they're shot from behind. And they're shot from behind. So despite the fact uh, that you mentioned that he was uh, shot from behind uh, in that uh, uh, condition, the jury felt self-defense was as good a story as any. So they acquitted Wayne Brazell. He went free. He convinced them that he feared for his life. Oh, this uh, way. <clears throat> I thought he was going to get pee-pee on my boots. (laughs) I had to shoot him. Oh, yeah. 
you know, I was I was scared of Pat Garrett. He had such a violent temper, and you know, we'd have been having some violent arguments. And I, I just, I, I just was worried about my life. <clears throat> One cautionary note here, Gary. Frontier court witnesses and juries were often bought and paid for. Wait, let me act surprised. <gasps> yeah, you don't say. Brazil didn't have the money to bribe a jury, but of course not. Some powerful people who wanted Pat Garrett dead did have the means. Mm -hmm. So Jarvis um, told me that he went out to the murder site in 1956 with an old friend of his father's. Apparently the friend had been there to re uh, help reclaim Pat Garrett's body because he showed Jar Jarvis exactly where it happened. He told Jarvis that his father had the shotgun, but it was uh, still in the case on the buggy, unopened. And he said, it sure wasn't self-defense, but out-and-out out murder. Now, here is where the story gets complicated. Wouldn't you think that the story would end there? But oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Wayne Brazell is but one of our suspects. So suspect number one uh, for our listeners, do you believe Wayne Brazell shot Sheriff Pat Garrett, as he confessed, he did. And this would be because he so, feared for his life mm -hmm. and also because of the dispute yeah. of land and <clears throat> sheep. Right. So here we go with suspect number two. Some historians believe that Jim Miller, the man who set up the meeting, you remember, lured Pat Garrett to Las Cruces, and he sent his own relative, Carl Adamson, to pick Garrett up. And Miller was lying in wait that day, and Carl Adamson stopped at a pre-arranged place. And Miller was the one who shot down Pat Garrett from ambush. And what the historians are leaning on here for this theory, turns out that Jim Miller earned much of his living as a hired assassin, a contract killer. He racked up between 20 and 40 victims. So my question is, could Pat Garrett have been one of Jim Miller's victims? <clears throat> now, if he was, and we're talking about this man being a professional assassin, then that would mean that there would be a little bit more to this story than just a business deal gone wrong. Oh, yeah. Somebody would have had to have hired him. He didn't kill for free. No. But and then the question would be, who hired him and for what purpose and for that we're going to get to the rest of the story later on so we now have suspect number two jim miller but jarvis and the garrett family eh, they didn't think so they believed miller was part of a plot hatched by a group of wealthy and politically powerful people however but not the actual killer. not the actual killer here's what really stunned me and I don't know if this is in any history book or not. Jarvis believes that Miller's relative, Carl Adamson, Joe Skeen's grandfather, right, did the dirty work. Waited for him to get off the buggy. Mm -hmm. And then shot him from behind with two shots. Now, Adamson, according to Jarvis, was the actual trigger man, not Miller. Miller and Adamson then probably paid Brazell to confess and plead self-defense while also getting payments ready for the jury members. Ooh. So that's the, that's the theory that uh, 
Jarvis and the Garrett family have held to for, for their entire lives. So now our listeners have three choices as to who killed Pat Garrett. Was it the sheep rancher Wayne Brazell? He said he did. Was it Jim Miller, that notorious hitman for hire? Or was it his partner, Carl Adamson? So, as in all murders, Gary, you need to try to establish motive. Absolutely. Uh, we know Brazell's motive was simple. It was mortal fear of Pat Garrett. So he said, though, as I mentioned, he wasn't afraid to rent some of Garrett's land for a sheep to graze on, but uh, he must have developed a fear somehow or other along right. the way. Uh, Carl Adamson's motive and Jim Miller's motive would have been simple. They were paid to do it. Money could have been their motive. Sure. So now that begs the question, who? Who would put up big money to kill Pat Garrett? Now, this part of our incredible murder mystery starts with a man by the name of Albert Fountain. Yes. Did you know that Albert Fountain, many years before Pat Garrett's murder, was Billy the Kid's lawyer? No, I did not know that. So Billy the Kid's lawyer now inserts himself into the murder of Sheriff Pat, Pat Garrett many years later. Isn't that, co- isn't that ironic? It is ironic. So Albert Fountain is now in our story. Let's talk a little bit about Albert Fountain to see how he fits into all of this. Now, back in those frontier days, the New Mexico and Arizona territories were plagued with cattle rustlers, Gary. And many of them were the white cowboys from Texas. They called them the Anglos. Uh, They stole Mexican cattle from across the border. They stole from the wealthy ranchers, and they stole from each other, and (laughs) they even stole from the army forts. Right, and which actually was part of the the big deal with the Lincoln County War, which is what uh, Billy the Kid was involved with. So... Now, stealing cattle had literally become an epidemic. Now, in towns like Tombstone, Gary, some of the butchers were absolutely delighted for the opportunity to purchase stolen beef at low prices. So there was quite an industry uh, surrounding cattle rustling. Oh, absolutely. A lot of big money involved with this. Cattle rustling was the organized crime of the day in those western territories. Well, Albert Fountain was on the other side of this. He was a crime-busting lawyer from Mesilla, New Mexico, and that's near Las Cruces. Not only did he fight rustlers in court, Gary, he actually set up his own militia group to go after them. Oh. And that meant war. Of course it did. That, that's guns and horses and... Oh, yeah, and you're messing with somebody's big income? Mm-hmm. That meant war. So... Now another character enters our story, and his name is Oliver Lee. Oliver Lee was a rancher, and his ranch was located outside of Alamogordo. And in later years, he also lived in a very nice Victorian-style home on Ohio Street, just a few blocks down from where we lived in Alamogordo. Yep, that's right. So he was thought to be uh, both a rustler and a killer, Oliver Lee. So he was like the godfather of New Mexico. Well, he was certainly a godfather in his area. Did you know that he had his own militia? Well, I would assume <laughs> that any cattle rustler with a large amount of money would have to have some uh, yeah, hired yeah. hands. Yeah, he actually had his own militia. He brought it out once uh, to influence a political election. Uh, so he had uh, hired hired gunmen, and two of them were named Jim Gilliland 
and Bill McNew. Okay. Back to our crime buster, Albert Fountain, whether he was fearless or reckless, Gary, I just don't know, but he started a legal prosecution against rancher Oliver Lee. Out of suspicion for cattle rustling or yeah, evidence? Well, he, I, he was gathering evidence, and, and so I believe um, one day he needed to drive between Massey and Lincoln to pick up some court documents. I believe they were warrants for Oliver Lee's arrest and, and a couple of the others, maybe Gilliland and McNew, I'm not sure. But in, in any event, oh, my gosh, can you imagine going up against people who were this um, deadly and and you know, serious about their criminal enterprise. Oh, cutthroat. I mean, this, Mm -hmm. the moment he starts going after their business, then that's their money. That's their livelihood. It's gone. And trying to throw them in prison. Oh my God. Well, it was even serious, more serious than that. I mean, if you got caught for cattle rustling and they could prove your guilt, you would be hung. That was Mm -hmm. a sentence punishable by death. So anyways, um, Albert Fountain's uh, wife, her name was Mariana. Uh, she she feared for his safety more than he did. She feared for his safety. And so as he was uh, getting ready to make that drive up to the Lincoln County Courthouse from uh, Mesilla, which, as I mentioned, was near Las Cruces, um, she said, uh, take our nine-year-old son, Henry. She urged him to take nine-year-old Henry with him. And here's what she actually said. They wouldn't take a chance on hurting a little boy. Did she not realize this was the Wild West? There well, were no rules about that back she, in the day, especially if you were a bad, bad man. She hoped, however, there were some guardrails. Unfortunately, her decision ended up with her not only losing her husband, but also her little boy. So anyhow, I'm getting ahead of the story here. Her, her husband, that's uh, Albert uh, Fountain, um, he... Uh, and uh, Henry headed off to Lincoln in the county courthouse. Fountain retrieved the court paperwork he needed, and he headed back home. Now, as he approached the White Sands dune field near Alamogordo, which you're very familiar with. Oh, I spent many a summer out there in the dunes with my uh, sled going down the slopes. Oh, yeah, they're mountains of sand, aren't they, Gary? As white as snow. As white as snow and as soft as talcum powder. They're gypsum sand dunes. They stretch about 18 miles down the road, three miles wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite a field. Now, uh, you know, uh, it's a national park today, and people go there for recreational purposes. But back in Albert Fountain's day, um, they avoided that area as much as possible. There had been several murders there. We'll get into that maybe in a, a next sure. uh, an episode next year. but. Um, it was a place that uh, was to be avoided if at all possible. Well, it can be treacherous. Even now, there are people that get lost in the dunes because they go off the trails. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's so seamless that it's hard to find your way back. Yeah. Now, the last person to see Albert Fountain alive, other than the killers, was the rural mail carrier. The rural mail carrier saw him as he was approaching. He and his uh, son, Henry, were approaching the uh, White Sands dune field. That was the last time anyone reported seeing them alive. Then they disappeared from the face of the earth. Nobody ever saw them again. Their bodies were never recovered. It's obvious that they were murdered, but as I said, no bodies were ever recovered. Now, with them, there's something else that disappeared. The legal prosecution of Oliver Lee. 
all of the warrants and everything? Yeah, rustling charges were dropped. So no case was ever mounted against Oliver Lee. So it sounds like uh, problem solved for Mr. Lee. Yes, it does. So I'm going to ask you to guess who the authorities turned to to investigate the disappearance and probable murder of the Fountains. Well, I'm going to reasonably assume that that would be Sheriff Pat Garrett. The legendary New Mexico lawman who gunned down Billy the Kid. Who better than to get to the bottom of this murder? Now, if Pat Garrett, I think about this sometimes, if Pat Garrett had turned down this assignment, I think, Gary, he would have lived to a ripe old age and enjoyed his fame as the manhunter who caught up with Billy the Kid. Oh, sure, sure. But instead he allowed himself to become the number one threat to Oliver Lee, who was thought to be not just a pretty wealthy rancher, but somebody uh, politically powerful and, uh, you know, uh, had no compunction about killing people. Cutthroat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Oliver Lee had, a, had money. He had political clout. He could arrange disappearances without suffering any consequences although he denied any wrongdoing until his dying day, Gary. In fact, he went on to serve two terms in the New Mexico State Legislature, if you can believe that, and he died in, in 1941, many, many years after all these uh, events took place. So Pat Garrett was murdered before he could solve the Fountain case. He never discovered what we're about to reveal tonight. We now know exactly what happened and who did what? To Pat Garrett or to... to Pat uh, Garrett and... Uh, to Robert Fountain and his son, Henry? Uh, yeah, to Fountain and his son. To paraphrase Paul Harvey again, Gary, you are about to hear, along with our listeners, the rest of the story. Oh, well, I can't wait. I'm on pins and needles. <laughs> pins and needles, folks. Okay. <clears throat> Remember this. Oliver Lee dies in 1941, so he no longer is a threat to anyone, right? Right. He's dead. Of course. So in 1946, five years later, right. his gunman that I mentioned, Jim Gilliland, right. he was in his final days. And, that, and in 1946... I don't know whether he was on his deathbed, but it was definitely his final days. He admitted everything to a friend. Everything. The murder? Uh, everything. He was there. For for who? For the murder of the fountains. Oh, for the fountains. Okay. These are the words as his friend would later recount. Oliver Lee and Bill McNew bore down on Fountain's buddy, buggy, shooting at him the entire time. Picture that. Oliver Lee on a galloping horse, Bill McNew on, uh, on a galloping horse, firing pistols at poor uh, Mr. Fountain. The outlaws uh, noticed that uh, Fountain then fell forward into the traces of the horses pulling the buggy. Oh, my God. He was dead. And they had a good laugh over that. Oh, they had a good laugh. So they uh, pulled the buggy to a stop. 
Jim Gilliland removed Fountain's Odd Fellows pin and stuffed it in his pocket. Then the three, the two gunmen and Oliver Lee drew straws to see who would murder little nine-year-old Henry Gilliland. So there were three men that day. Oliver Lee, Oliver Lee, Bill McNew, Jim Gilliland. Okay. And they drew straws to see who would kill Henry? Yeah, the little nine-year-old boy. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Gilliland drew the short straw, the man telling this story. Mm-hmm. Now, although he was deeply disturbed years later by what he was about to do, uh, at the time, without saying a word, he just drew his pocket knife grabbed the little boy by the hair, pulled his head back while looking into the child's terrified eyes, and in his exact words, cut the little fella's throat. Oh, my God. That's that's horrible. Pat Garrett died trying to unearth this truth and solve this horrific crime. Wow. Now, what did they do with the bodies? Okay, that... Um, maybe Jarvis has uh, some insight on. Colonel Fountain and his son were uh, brutally murdered in the White Sands area, I'd say about uh, 60 miles east of Las Cruces, New Mexico. So he and his uh, eight-year-old son, he was coming back from uh, Lincoln where he had uh, warrants for the arrest of a man by the name of Oliver Lee and uh, Lee Gilliland. All of the evidence uh, appeared without question that uh, they were the murderers of Colonel Fountain and his son. And they were tried for their murders in uh, Hillsborough, New Mexico, but since no bodies were found, they never found the body, the, the jury acquitted them. Well, anyway, what I believe that happened was that they uh, placed the bodies of both Mr. Fountain and his seven-year-old son, Henry, on horses and took them over to Wildy Well, which belonged to uh, Oliver Lee, and uh, put their bodies in a boiler. And so therefore, no one has ever found the bodies, or no, no one ever will. So he... Jarvis, that is, Jarvis believed that the bodies were brought back to the ranch. Oliver Lee's ranch. Oliver Lee's ranch and were incinerated. Yeah. So nothing but ash. So there was no evidence whatsoever that anybody could bring back. No bodies, no clothing, Mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah, like Jarvis referred to it as a boiler. I'm not sure exactly uh, what it was. But Oliver Lee had installed a a water system on his ranch that uh, was pretty complicated and and he also had a slaughterhouse uh, there so you know it it could be connected with any of the operation of the ranch well if you think of a boiler system especially the older boiler systems they have to use a furnace to heat the water Mm -hmm. so that that furnace typically is very large so i'm assuming even if it wasn't large enough to put a whole person in, they probably put in pieces at a time to like a crematorium yeah But, you know, the the bodies were just absolutely never found. Consequently, there could never be a murder case initiated. uh, It was just a a disappearance, unexplained disappearance. And 
Uh, it basically all went away when Pat Garrett was murdered. Uh, nothing else was done uh, to try and solve this crime. Oliver Lee was never brought to justice. Instead, Gary, he was honored by the state of New Mexico. They named a state park in his name, and it's situated where his ranch once stood. Oliver Lee Memorial State Park. Unbelievable. There is no memorial to Sheriff Pat Garrett. There is no memorial to Albert Fountain or his nine-year-old son, Henry. There's just a memorial to Oliver Lee, who did something really horrible. That's shocking. I mean... According to Jim Gilliland. According to Jim, who was there yeah. the day that everything went down. Yeah, Gilliland said he was. And, and what, what fear would he have, though? I mean, he's obviously like probably the last guy left of this group. Yeah. What what would he have to lose, especially when he's on his deathbed? Who's going to come after him? Right, which what, is What why, point would he have to lie? Which why is why would he? he unburdened himself. And prior to that, any time a conversation came up about the fountains, when, when it uh, centered around Henry, they said that he would get tears in his eyes. It, it uh, hurt him emotionally. And... Uh, one of his last acts is he passed on that odd fellows pin that he yeah. stole from Oliver from uh, a fountain's uh, from fountain's dead body, and he gave his friend the pin. And his uh, request was, "Please return this to the Fountain family." The Fountain family received the pin, and they certified that it indeed had belonged to Albert Fountain. Wow. So so let me get this straight. So in connecting this whole uh, ball of twine to Garrett, so Pat Garrett has been asked to investigate the murder of Fountain, Fountain and, his, and son. his son. And so at this point, this is where it's believed that Oliver Lee contacts Miller and says, I can't have somebody snooping around. Make the investigation go away. Make it disappear. And so they hire this man, and I believe his nickname was the Deacon. Yeah. I mean, this was we're we're talking about somebody who was a professional hitman. And so he sets up this whole thing, and it all stemmed from the murder Mm -hmm. of this father and son. And so Miller and uh uh, Carl Adamson and uh, Wayne Brazell uh, probably were a little conspiratorial group all of their own in the murder of Sheriff Pat Garrett. Wow. What a story, huh? Wow. That's fascinating. You know, I remember Jarvis as a quiet and gentle soul. He had a quick and easy smile and great sense of humor. He was definitely a distinguished and likable gentleman. He was so distraught when uh, the state of New Mexico decided right. to name a state park after Oliver Lee, after all that we have just discussed, mm-hmm. that Jarvis said there's no way that Sheriff Pat Garrett's possessions, personal effects, could go to New Mexico for permanent safekeeping. And so instead, he uh, donated them to a, a college and a university in Texas where his father had served in El Paso as a tax collector under uh, President Theodore Roosevelt. So Pat Garrett's, all of Pat Garrett's possessions went to Texas. That's how that's how deeply impacted Jarvis was uh, for the state to, to name something after Oliver Lee. 
And nothing, like I say, has ever been named after Pat Garrett in New Mexico or the fountains, but just Oliver Lee. Wow. That was truly an incredible tale right there. And we were fortunate enough to not only hear it from you, but also from Pat Garrett's son, uh, as was told to him by his mother. So, all right, folks, it's that time again. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And thank you for joining us again for another incredible story.